It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Hello, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. It's a great pleasure to be with you, as always. Lots to talk about with the election and the post-election and what the economic implications are, what the political implications are. By the way, you can join us during the week every day, Monday through Friday, 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern on Fox Business Network, FBN. Name the show is Kudlow. And if for uh, some reason you can't uh, make it at 4, just text your favorite 9-year-old who will then teach you how to DVR the show. 9-year-olds know how to do this, maybe even 7-year-olds. And here... You can live stream us on the Internet, LarryCudlowShow.com, LarryCudlowShow.com. It will run all across the country, around the world, and throughout the solar system. Anyway, a couple points about this election and the postmortem of the election and what it all means. Of course, it wasn't quite the cavalry that I'd hoped for, but I have called it a platoon a platoon is still a lot of soldiers. And let's not forget, as disappointing as it might have been to conservatives, although the race isn't over in the Senate, we still don't know that. I'm going to talk about that more in a moment. We are going to take the House. Conservatives will take the House. And that is a gigantic change. And I don't think, actually, I don't think with all the recriminations and finger pointing, which I can't stand, frankly. And, of course, Democrats, Joe Biden, thinks this is a great outcome. They're going to lose the House. And that's going to represent a major change in Washington. Major. And it has already been conceded. I guess, what did I see? One of the networks, NBC. But they'll probably come in around 222, 224, something like that. Uh, Despite some rumblings in the House, Kevin McCarthy will be the new speaker. Steve Scalise will be the uh, majority leader, the majority whip, whatever it's called. I think it's called the majority leader, by the way, the number two job. And it will represent a sea change because the House, let's not forget, the House has the power of the purse. All revenue bills originate in the House, the Ways and Means Committee in particular. So my point here is it's a sea change Stop the bad stuff. Joe Biden's climate change, big spending, over-regulating, not all of it may be stopped because of his executive authorities, maybe on regulations, but on spending and tax hikes, it will be stopped. He will no longer have the House. He will no longer have Nancy Pelosi. And that's a big deal, a very big deal. Basically, the big government socialist agenda sponsored by Joe Biden will be over. And I think, incidentally, that's one of the key reasons why the stock market exploded up on Thursday when it became clear that the Republicans would, in fact, take the House. And ironically, they're taking the House with the some great pickups in New York State. You know, God bless Lee Zeldin. He ran his heart out. He didn't quite make it. But he had coattails, and we won, I think we picked up four, including the head of the Democratic 
campaign committee, uh, this guy Maloney, uh, Lawler beat Maloney. Anyway, uh, California is going to pick up two to four seats. Florida is going to pick up several seats. Ron DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, had a terrific night. So the GOP is going to carry the House. That's the point. That puts an end to Biden's big government socialist agenda right there. I think when the stock market saw that by Thursday, basically, it went up. I mean, Dow Jones went up 1,200 points. NASDAQ went up 6 or 7%. And it continues to float up yesterday. There are other things going on, lighter than expected inflation. We'll try to cover all that today. But my point is the political game has changed. And let's not forget that. And I'm just, I can't stand these recriminations. I think people are being way, way unnecessarily too hard on my former boss, Donald Trump. We will talk about that. Uh, he, he ain't perfect. Nobody in life is perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But the idea that he picked bad candidates, I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. Many of his candidates were very good candidates. The fact that they lost doesn't mean they weren't good candidates. I mean, this mantra, oh, no. <laughs> this mantra that he picked bad candidates, he picked bad candidates is a terrible mantra. Just spill coffee on our desk here. I do that about once every couple of months. Anyway, we'll get some help on that. But point is, uh, a lot of these people were accomplished people. You know, Blake, Blake Masters was an accomplished person. He didn't win in Arizona. He had a tough race. The Democrats spent fortunes on this. Uh, I was from McCormick, not Oz in Pennsylvania. But, you know, Oz, again, an accomplished person. And you can go down the list. Bud won in North Carolina. Bud won in North Carolina. And several others won. You know, Vance won, and J.D. Vance won in Ohio. I think uh, Adam Laxalt's going to win in Nevada. These are all accomplished people. So, as we try to clean up my coffee mess here. Anyway, there's too much, uh, you know, too much yelling at Donald Trump. That's the point. And it's just time to refocus you know, there's a lot of good that came out of this. And uh, I think that we forget that the House is going to be in Republican hands. Now, turning to the Senate, let's take a look at that for a minute. So Blake Masters didn't quite make it. All right. Uh, it's all going to come down to Herschel Walker. The entire thing is going to come down to Herschel Walker. Now, I'm assuming Adam Laxalt wins in Nevada, and I think that's a pretty fair assumption. So I'm saying this, Herschel first, Herschel first, all right, the Herschel Walker platoon. I had him on the TV show. Uh, he was very good yesterday. By the way, you can dial that stuff up. Um, it's time to set aside personal ambitions right now. And... My point is, and I don't think this is a breathtaking point, I think strategically it would be very useful if President Trump, former President Trump, just held off on his own candidacy because the midterms are not over until the Herschel Walker runoff 
is over. And I think that it would be a good thing to lay back for a month. And I also think it would be a good thing if Mr. Trump uh, opened up some purse strings and he's got a lot of money in his political action committee and donated a couple million dollars at least to Herschel Walker. I mean, Walker is a MAGA guy. President Trump backed Walker. Walker has stayed true blue. He's very much engaged in the America First principles on tax cuts and reduced spending and deregulation and energy independence and closing the border and parental influence in the schools etc., etc. So he's running on a MAGA platform. He's running on a Trump platform. He's running on America First platform. And I think we should not allow any distractions. Therefore, I'm recommending that my former boss just hold back his own candidacy. I'm not saying to Mr. Trump, don't run. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying right now, the emphasis has to be on Herschel Walker right now. And if we can do that and put some money in. Now, Mitch McConnell, who I do not think has been a great star in this election either. I mean, people want to pick on Trump. McConnell doesn't win any points either here uh, for being extremely unhelpful. But putting that aside, uh, Brian Kemp, Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia, and this is very important, he has one of the best get-out-the-vote election day operations in the country. Brian Kemp's a very good governor of Georgia. He's a friend of mine. He ran a great race, won big, ended the career of Stacey Abrams, thank goodness, speaking of election deniers. And the deal is going to be Brian Kemp will take over Herschel Walker's election day get-out-the-vote operation. And uh, McConnell, Mitch McConnell, is putting in a couple million dollars to help finance it. And I think um, President Trump should put in a couple million dollars to help finance it and to put in uh, ads. Maybe put in five million, maybe put in 10 million. I don't know what the right number is. All I'm saying is Herschel first. It's the Herschel Walker platoon. And if we take that seat in the runoff, then the Republicans will have taken the Senate as well as the House. That victory is still well within their grasp. So quit all the finger-pointing and all the rest of the recriminations and let's roll up our sleeves and make sure Herschel wins. That's all I'm saying. Put put the individual ambitions on hold for for all these guys, President Trump, DeSantis, whoever's going to run, a lot of talented people looking at this race. Just hang on. you got to line up behind Herschel. If you do that and he wins, then you've got a revolution. And you will have snatched, uh, snatched defeat from the jaws, snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. Sorry, got that wrong. So I'm just saying all is not lost. The House will go Republican. That will stop the Biden's big government socialist agenda. So that's a big plus. That's optimistic. 
And then the next thing is to go and back up Herschel, the Herschel Brigade, the Herschel Platoon. And everybody else should just put their ambitions aside and back him up, and he can win. He can win. Warnock is a radical far-left guy. Doesn't give a hoot about Georgia. Won on a fluke the last time. Herschel is a very gifted man, a successful entrepreneur and businessman. He's a man of faith. Yeah, Herschel's made mistakes in the past, but he's owned up to that. He's written about that. Brian Kilmeade and I were talking about it on our show last night. Nobody's perfect. We're all sinners. But fundamentally, it's an America first agenda. Fundamentally, it's a pro-growth supply side, energy independence, make the Trump tax cuts permanent agenda. And it will be an earthquake if Herschel Walker can win. So I'm going to come back and talk about some more of these details, but for starters, the Herschel Walker platoon put everything else aside. The Herschel Walker platoon is the key. We've got the House. Now let's grab the Senate. That victory is within grasp. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Now back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Welcome back. So we were talking about this, um, the uh, Herschel Walker platoon, the Herschel Walker Brigade. I like platoon. By the way, platoons, they're not as big as cavalrys, but platoons are bigger than squads. If you get my meaning, there's a squad, a left-wing squad. Ours is a conservative platoon. But I think to save America, you've got to put Herschel Walker first. That's really my key point. And um, you'd have a chance then. Look, two houses be a heck of a thing. Now, it's interesting to me, Joe Biden at his press conference the other day, He's not taking any of this seriously. I mean, he sees this as a great Democratic victory. All right, the Democrats did better than folks thought. The Republicans did not do as well. Those are facts. But, 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 changing hands in the House is a very big deal. And I don't know, I have no idea whether Joe Biden understands that or not. He's going to have to deal with an entire new leadership from the opposing party. He's going to have to deal with not only different policies, right? Biden's agenda is going to be finito. But he's going to have to deal with oversight hearings, FBI, Department of Justice, Homeland Security, what happened down at the border, the total fiasco under Biden, Total fiasco. You'll probably have to deal with Hunter Biden's laptop issues, hearings on that. And he's going to have to face up to the fact that his ultra-radical Green New Deal socialism, I'm calling it, because it's all government runs, all a bunch of central planning. The House Republicans will not appropriate the money that Biden thinks he's going to spend to end fossil fuels and promote solar and wind. They're not going to do it. And by the way, I don't have any problem with solar or wind. Although it takes 
a lot of carbon and fossils to produce wind farms and solar farms a lot. I don't know. There's no alternative structure in place. The whole thing is quixotic. It's caused prices to rise sharply. It's buried family budgets. Actually, since Joe Biden was elected, energy's gone up 41%. Fuel oil's gone up 103%. Motor fuel's gone up 54%. All types of gasoline up 53%. Electricity up 21%. Utility-piped gas services up 45%. I mean, that's what's happened. We're still producing only 11.8 million barrels a day. Pre-pandemic under Trump, we were producing 13.1 million barrels a day. We should be ready to produce 14 to 15 million barrels a day. There's home heating oil shortages. There's natural gas shortages. There's diesel shortages. There's gasoline shortages. The price of gasoline has come down in an election ploy by looting the Strategic Petroleum Reserve which Biden thinks he's going to refill at $70 a barrel. The trouble is oil prices are closer to $100 a barrel. I mean, all things are fiasco. That is going to come to an end with a Republican takeover of the House. In fact, talking to all these leading Republicans in the House and the Senate, for that matter, the first order of business will probably be to take the handcuffs off of oil and gas production. Take the cuffs off. Open the spigots. Be the single best thing we can do. Produce more. That will lower prices. That will help family budgets. Bring inflation down. You know, real wages after inflation fall in 18 consecutive months. 18 consecutive months. It's not all about oil, but it's a lot about oil and gas and fuel. That's where that inflation's coming from, and food. Food prices have gone up enormously, 16%. Food at home, grocery prices have gone up 18% since February of 2021. Those are big numbers. Cereal and baked products, 20%. Meat, poultry, fish and eggs, 21%. Anyway, that's about fertilizer, which has gotten more expensive because of the so-called Green New Deal. Anyway, the Republicans in the House are going to fight this. Tooth and nail, they're going to fight this, as they must, as they should. And that's going to cause big changes. Hey, I just got my coffee refilled after I spilled the thing. Terrific. (laughs) It's the little things in life that help. Just saying. Working here at WABC's fabulous place. Just wanted to say that. Thank you, Mr. Katsimatidis. Just wanted to say that. Anyway, I digress. I'm just saying, whether it comes to massive spending that caused the inflation in the first place, or tax hikes, or over-regulation, which basically strangled the economy, or the Green New Deal, which has uh, ended our energy independence, looting spro, going to places like Iran and Venezuela and so forth. These things are going to stop under a Republican House. I don't know if Mr. Biden understands that or not. 
I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. But he needs to start start thinking about it. He's over there in Egypt at this world uh, conference on global warming, apologizing. Remember, he's looking for America. America pulled out of the Paris climate. He's apologizing for that. We have the biggest reduction of carbon emissions of any big developed country in the world. Quit apologizing for America. Let's put America first. And right now we need to put Herschel Walker first in order to help put America first. I'm Cudlow. We're going to talk much more about this. Art Laffer on the other side of the break. We've got plenty to do today, folks. Stick around. Stick around with me. It's going to be lots of fun. Back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. We continue our discussions. We bring in the great Art Laffer, my dear friend, chairman and chief economist of Laffer Associates, Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient, and a new book, Taxes Have Consequences, an income tax history of the United States. Arthur, good morning. Thank you for doing this. My pleasure, Larry. So I'm, you know, it's, I want to talk about this very amusing piece in the Washington Post, Art Laffer still thinks he was right about tax cuts. So this guy, Schwartzman, he does his best to come after you, but he really doesn't, he really doesn't lay a glove on you. He just says. He, he was very nice. He spent a full day with me, Larry. <laughs> I mean, from morning till noon through night. He is not a trained economist. Yeah. At all. So any, in fact, he, his dad was an economist. He doesn't like economics, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and what he had done is gotten all the comments from other people and then came out. And, you know, he was really nice. I thought it was a fairly even-handed approach. And, yeah. You know, I didn't feel that there were any arrows that he threw at me that, that uh, changed my mind about taxes. I mean, they do have consequences. And, uh, you know, and the opponents, all they do is just call me names. Uh, you know, <laughs> a fanatic, a freak, a weirdo, a, you know, kook, whatever. But no evidence, Larry, no evidence whatsoever. The Trump tax cuts did work. Uh, the the, uh, the Kennedy tax cuts did work. You know, the relationships there are all there. The states with the lowest taxes have the best performance. You know, all of these facts sitting out there uh, have really just kind of congelled to, to give a get very clear picture that you cannot tax an economy into prosperity, period. The Reagan tax cuts worked. Yeah, they really did. It's, Kennedy, Reagan, I mean, even the Harding and Coolidge ones yes, worked. I mean, yes, it's amazing. I, I was there. And that's All of that's covered in the book. I was there in Harding and Coolidge. Me too. I remember you <laughs> You were a couple of classes behind me in prep school. <laughs> the Liz Trust tax cuts would have worked if they had let her. This yeah, is so, this is you, so interesting. How can you bash the tax cuts if they it won't even happen. let them happen? I know. <laughs> People have attacked you and me and a few others of us, Uh it looked the political blow up doesn't have any meaning if they didn't put the tax cuts in place. They needed supply side help. They needed exactly. growth. And help. We do, too, Larry. We do, too. Britain does. Europe does. The world does. But, you know, if they don't put them in, it's their problem, not yours and mine. I know it's very amusing that we're being blamed for a political wave that stopped it from happening in the first place. So, it is sort of, but that's par for the course. But, you know, Larry, if I can really be serious on here, the earth, earth they are scorching is their earth, too. And they don't have any idea how much damage they're, they're killing themselves. Resentment is the poison these people take mm. in the hopes of killing us. 
and it ain't going to happen. Let me read from this uh, Laffer's contention that tax cuts, tax cuts for the wealthy can stimulate the economy and increase government revenues has been echoed by generations of Republican leaders, including most recently President Donald Trump, whom Laffer advised on tax cuts and became the administration's signature legislative achievement. Trump later awarded Laffer the Presidential Medal of Freedom. So um, walk us through that. You lower the top rate. That's what you're saying. Lower the top income tax rate. rate. matters. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the top rate that matters. And that's what the whole book does is it focuses on the top income tax rate on the top 1% of income earners and then looks at what happens to the economy. And whenever they raise it, the economy slows down. Whenever they lower it, uh, the economy booms up. And literally, year by year, I mean, it's amazing. Revenues are increased by lowering that tax rate historically, and revenues are reduced by raising that. It's just amazing. And Trump fit right into that package, Larry. He dropped the highest corporate tax rate from 35 to, what was it, 21? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if he did some others there on pass-throughs. He did say take the personal income tax rate down and, and a bunch of other stuff, 100% expensing and all this other cool stuff. And the revenues went way up afterwards. Now, everyone says they didn't. But if you look at the numbers, if you want to be fact-based, the revenues went way up in the two years following the president's tax cuts. Uh, than they were in the two years prior to that, and even a faster growth rate than the prior period. So what what do they want? Unemployment, poverty, all of that went way, way down. Yeah, it's true. Poverty went down, unemployment went down, minority unemployment went down. Yep, Uh, all that stuff. And you were right there. You were the guy who actually did the stuff. I just talk about it. But you, you actually did that stuff there. I mean, it is amazing how successful it was. And why they won't give you credit for it and the Trump credit for it is beyond me. I think uh, so. The top tax rate is um, it's still 37 percent. Yeah, it is. They didn't change the tax rate there or the corporate tax rate. So they've done some meddling in the big build back better baby bill to damage the tax system. But they didn't touch the rate. Yeah, they put a 15 percent minimum tax in for. Yeah, uh, they they did that and they did some other stuff in there making it more difficult to, you know, the regular stuff. But um, I mean, I think hit the rates, the top tax rate should be lowered more. Originally, the Trump plan wanted to bring it down to 35. We got it down to 37. We wanted 35. I'd like to see it get back to 30. Reagan had it at 28. You remember? In yeah, I do. Bill? I do. <laughs> yes, sir. I remember it well. And the battles I had at that time with all these other people were crazy, crazy tough. But that and bill, all the stuff they said would happen was just hogwash. But the but economy had, prospered as never before, and the Democrats voted for it, Larry. That's right. The Democrats were on board as much as the Republicans. No, that's what I was going to say. I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's right. Oh. It was bipartisan back in 1986. Yep, it was wonderful. And we'll get back there again someday, Larry. When? <laughs> Tomorrow <laughs> afternoon at 3 o'clock. I mean, I can't. I, I have can't, no idea. I can't wait. Well, I look, can't wait either, but, you know. Uh, it's it's it, it's the way the world does work, as Jude Winiski called it. And you know, our side ultimately wins because truth does out. Mm. But boy, it takes a long time, and there are a lot of scars in the process. Well, we're we're going to take back the House. We still have a shot sure at the that? Senate. Yeah, I am. I'm certain of it. Okay, good. Well, if you do that, I'm happy. Yeah, boy, it's too way too close for me. Mm, I agree. The didn't turn out as strong as we had hoped, but still. You're going to get the House. Um, 
Herschel Walker's runoff is going to be the key. You still have a shot at that Senate seat. No, are we going to get are we going to get the Senate in in Nevada? Well, I I I think the answer is yes, but I honestly don't know. I I don't. It's See, very if we close. lose that, then we lose the Senate, even if Herschel yes. wins. Yes, that is true. That is and true. And Laxalt is such a great guy. He is. He's you know, superb. And I just hope he wins, but I have no idea. I think he's ahead right now by a thousand votes or right. something. Right. But I don't know where the where the rest of the votes are coming from, and whether he has a a good shot or not. His grandfather was a very close ally of Ronald Reagan's. I remember Paul Laxalt well. I met him and spent a lot of time with him, Larry, back in the old Reagan days. And mm-hmm. it was he was just a fine gentleman, and always, always, always the steadfast friend yeah. of Ronald Reagan. Never wavered. I think he was Reagan's best friend in the political circles. I did too. I think that's exactly right. Art, uh, what's your take on the economy right now? What are you thinking? Well, you know, I, I think we've got a period, a rough patch coming. I, I, I don't believe the Fed has co- conquered inflation, although these latest numbers were very favorable to Biden and the Fed. Uh, they are not definitive in any way, shape or form. And, uh, you know, I think the balance sheet of the Fed's come down, which is a good sign. I think that the numbers that came in, especially in the CPI, were pretty good. Core numbers were down substantially. But those can be can bobble around a great deal, Larry. And we'll just have to see. Now, the wholesale price index numbers were not very good. Uh, you know, they didn't show any improvement. But uh, I don't think the Fed is doing it correctly. Uh, I think if they just let rates go, it would be much better. But uh, we'll just have to wait and see. But I was very pleased with this month's report on inflation. Well, yeah. I, I, I don't want inflation, even if my if inflation proves my theory correct. I want my theory to be wrong. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? Yes. I, well, neither of us have ever been truly that kind of partisan. I mean, we want what's best for the country. Exactly. Always, Larry. And that's the key. And uh, if there's some good news out there, you have to be factually honest. I just think uh, 7.7% CPI, it's down from 8.2 or whatever, but it ain't great. Um, No, it is not great. And, you know, if you look at the month to month, though, you find it's in a low patch right now. Remember, I talked with you on this about four months ago, and yep. I said, you know, the, these new numbers coming in are going to be awfully low, but the ones dropping off are even are very low as well. Mm. Well, this is the first month where the number dropping off was quite high. Mm. And so that's why the number dropped from, what, 8.2 to 7.7 oh, or something right, like that. Right. And that's because of the number that was dropped off 12 months ago. This month's number was, was higher uh, than that, but... Uh, you know, there is a trend that's down there the last four or five months, and let's hope it continues. You think we can avoid recession? Uh, I think we've already had one. Right. I mean, I, I first half know, the, the first year. two quarters were negative. They should have been very positive. Mm-hmm. They were negative. This quarter so far is is okay, but it should be much higher than it is to catch up to the pre-pandemic levels. And we'll see none of the policies I see coming in are good in the sense of making me feel good about the economy. Now, mm-hmm. maybe the Supreme Court and maybe the courts in general are going to block Biden's giveaway of student loan debt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there may be some other stuff coming in there as well from the Supreme Court. So, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that we don't have a, a severe downturn. I, I'm very hopeful we don't, but I, I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm worried that we will. 
You know, Bob Heller, who was a Reagan Fed appointee years ago, but he's still he's still doing very well. He's seeing a double dip. He thinks that you get the first half of the year that you just mentioned, that decline. The second half of the year, you'll have a positive. But we come go into next year where the full brunt of the Fed tightening and maybe the tax hikes as well, you might get a recession. Could be double dip. Oh, you sure could. And that's exactly what happened, if you'll remember, before Reagan. When Reagan was coming into office, there was a big dip down. Mm-hmm. And then it popped up when he won the election. Mm. And then it dipped down again, the GDP. So, you know, those double dips do happen. And this is the perfect type of environment for that to happen. Mm. And, uh, you know, he's a good guy. He's a smart man. And he's very experienced. And yeah. I, I wouldn't reject his forecast yeah. out of hand at all. No, it's an interesting uh, hypothesis. Well, anyway, Art, the Washington Post didn't lay a hand on you. Just wanted to establish thank that. Thank you, thank you. I was flattered, Larry, that they wanted to do I a know. profile of me. They, they said, you've been around for 50 years, and everyone tells us you're wrong, wrong, wrong all the time. And why are you still so important after 50 years? And, I know. I, you know. Maybe there is something to this stuff that you're that 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 you're selling when, when i get those attacks I, I my first response is well gosh didn't know you cared <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> but it was fun and it was the washington post too. Yeah. it wasn't one of our oh. of our publication group and i was i was quite pleased with the article and, and flattered that they wanted to do it absolutely anyway folks it's the great art laffer uh, presidential medal recipient. That's a very big deal. All right. Thanks for the time. Thank you, this Larry. Morning. You have a great weekend. You too. Talk Take you later. care. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And then uh, Rich Lowry, the uh, editor of the National Review, is going to come on. He's very tough on my former boss, Donald Trump. But Rich is a dear friend, and we're going to talk about the whole story. Please stay right here. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. All right. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We bring in my great pal, Rich Lowry. National Review Editor-in-Chief, longtime National Review Editor-in-Chief, Rich Lowry. Jeez, tough on Trump this morning in the New York Post. If I, maybe, maybe I should have you on. I don't know. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't hear your plea last night for unity. I, I saw it replayed on Fox this morning. I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, um, and I, I see it's uh, sort of moving around uh, the social media sites, that the best thing that could happen right now is for President Trump to wait. I'm not telling him not to mm-hmm. run, all right? That's going to be his decision. I'm just saying don't declare the candidacy because the midterms aren't over because the priority has to be Herschel Walker, right? America first, Herschel Walker first. That's the last platoon. And um, I'd also like to see – Mr. Trump, not only hold off on any campaign announcements, but also to throw a couple million into the Herschel Walker race uh, yeah, to help I'll it to get you, out the I'll vote. See you in, uh, I'll see you and raise you. I think he definitely should not announce Tuesday, and he should give Herschel his list, which he hasn't done for anyone. Let Herschel raise, you know, 10 or $15 million off that list. And then if things bounce the right way in Nevada, you know, God mm-hmm. knows, mm-hmm. and uh, Herschel wins, then if you're the president, you can say, look, I, I helped put Herschel over the uh, the finish line. This now looks a little better than, than, than we thought. And then, you know, maybe the, the narrative around all this has changed a little bit and it's more favorable for him to announce. But I think that's the play. I think people are trying to convince him of that, and, and we'll see. So I said that publicly on the show. 
You yep. got to give me a I'm little totally bit of credit. Jeez. I'm totally with you. <laughs> you got to give me a totally tiny bit you. of credit. Uh, for don't know, for people who don't know, this is a long playing record, this conversation I'm having with my dear friend Rich Lowry. Just a little bit of credit. Um, I think that, you know, the, uh, I, Rich, I think one of the reasons, maybe this is true, maybe this is not true, but it just occurs to me that one of the reasons that the cavalry didn't come the way we hoped it would come is I think the GOP in general, and maybe me too, we didn't, uh, we underestimated the power of the abortion issue and Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it wasn't, it was out there and then it wasn't out there and eco- yeah. economy and inflation was huge. But actually, I think the abortion issue was also, and I think a lot of pollsters missed that. Yeah, I mean, in August, it had changed the momentum of the midterms, and then it seemed to be snapping back to what I consider the fundamentals, the economy, the inflation, and the president's unpopularity. And I I just assumed that that was the dynamic, and there was a counter dynamic that was more like August right at the end that uh, maybe it was there all along and missed all along, or maybe it just happened at the end. But I think there there was a bit of a blue wave. At the end, you know, I was looking, there's a lot of recriminations about the polling around the New Hampshire Senate race. Our, our friend Robert Cahaley at Trafalgar, he had Baldock one point ahead. Mm. And some people, ah, oh, you know, that's so crazy. Then I looked at the real clear average. It was 1.9 uh, Hassan. And you, you looked at every poll, whether it was a mainstream poll or a Republican poll, a Democratic poll. Even if they had her ahead, it was by one or three points mm. when she'd been ahead by like 10 uh, a month earlier. So you figure the momentum, everyone shows the momentum's in Baldock's favor. Mm. You assume the momentum's going to happen for another couple of days. There's no early vote in New Hampshire. That guy could win, you mm. know, and he loses by 10 points. So there's something out there that wasn't picked up. And another huge factor that I just, I still have trouble getting my head around. The final NBC News poll had some good news for Democrats, said enthusiasm was equal to Republicans, but had Biden's approval rating among independents at 28 percent, three days before an election. That's mm. not survivable. It's not survivable. Mm. But Democrats, if you believe the exit polls, won independents nationally by four points. And some of these key races, Pennsylvania, Arizona, won them by like 19 or 30 points. And mm. if you have a wave, uh, you win, win independents by double digits. We did it in 94. We did it in 10. They did it in 06. They did it in 18. And we lost independence. So if, if you want one explanation, um, just mathematically, uh, or in terms of the nature of the electorate, that was it. We, we lost independence. Well, that's just, uh, I don't get it. I mean, I mean, I, I uh, agree with your numbers. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with the empirics. I'm just saying, I don't understand. I mean, for mm-hmm. example, on the economy and inflation, uh, the Republicans had, I don't know, 30 point leads with independence. And also, yeah. With respect, I had seen polls that showed um, independent women, because of the crime issue, were going Republican. But none of that yep. seemed to pan out, Rich. And I'm, I'm, it's a head scratcher. You know what I mean? I don't understand it. It's a total head scratcher. So, I, I mean, I think candidate quality mattered a lot. Like mm. Ted Budd in, in North Carolina, there was a, a Republican advantage in who showed up by seven points. And then he lost independence by nine points. That's survivable. A lot, a lot of these races, Republicans actually had more people show, you know, the, the partisan breakdown of the voters was in their favor, you know, six, seven points. But then, you know, if you're losing independence by 20, um, you, you can't you do the math and you're going to lose. And I think just, you know, these, some of these candidates like uh, Oz and, and Masters and others just weren't appealing enough 
to the middle and the persuadables. And we kind of forget there are still persuadable people out there. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of us are dug in. Mm-hmm. The bases are hugely important, but there's still like 30 percent who are independents. And maybe it's less if you push them and, and ask whether you're really leaning uh, someone who's truly a Democrat, calls yourself an independent or truly a Republican. But it's still a, a significant part of the electorate. And you mm-hmm. need to win those people. And I think we can. We clearly can. You know, Ron DeSantis did it. Mm-hmm. Brian Kemp did it. Mm-hmm. Others did it. And Kemp and DeSantis aren't wimps. Right? I mean, th- these are courageous conservative fighters who really the, move the ball substantively. And you show you're competent. Um, you appeal to those people without compromising anything fundamental. And and we'll win huge victories. And I think that's the that's the lesson going forward. We're talking to Rich Lowry, longtime editor in chief of the National Review magazine. Rich, one other point. Um, and this is this mail in balloting stuff, which is driving me crazy. And I'll tell mm-hmm. you why. Uh, mail in balloting starts many months before the election. But here's the game, the scam that Democrats are using. They won't debate until the very end of the mm-hmm. election, until mm-hmm. virtually all of the mail-in balloting is completed. So yep. you heard, for example, I mean, Oz Fetterman's a classic. It's not the only one, but that's a classic. Yep. When they saw yep. the debate, okay, they said, oh, my gosh, I-, I wish I hadn't voted for him, meaning Fetterman. That this, I don't know what to do with this mail-in balloting. I mean, I don't know yep. why we can't all vote. On Tuesday, um, I understand veterans or people uh, in military overseas or absentees. But what is the answer to mail-in balloting? Because I think it's it's making a mockery of these elections. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I mean, Fetterman, that clearly, you know, close race, that clearly could have been decisive. You know, if everyone had to vote after the debate, it's Mm -hmm. easy to see how Oz could have won. So, I mean, we're just in a place where, I mean, we're not going to eliminate mail-in balloting. Out West, that's, you know, it's predominantly mail-in balloting, and that accounts for the disgrace of how long it takes to to count. Because you show up in person, you show your ID, and it's like, okay, this is a vote. You know, we'll put it in the machine, it'll be tabulated. It comes by mail, like, okay, we're going to look at your signature on the ballot, look at your registration, see, have an expert come in here and try to match the signature. And I think all that's important, you know, want to verify it. But it takes time, especially when you're not counting until Election Day. And when you uh, let ballots come in on Election Day or afterwards, you know, Nevada is still accepting mail-in ballots. Mm. It's crazy. So I would I would just encourage people to vote in person, even if it's early. You know, I think we have to have some early period. We're all used to that now. But the uh, it, it just it doesn't it doesn't work on it on several levels to have so much uh, mail-in balloting so early and then not to count it late. It's just uh, it, it makes no What's sense. What's that? You know. In the last minute here, I mean, how do we get around that? These are state issues. I get that. They're not federal issues, and I don't want to federalize election law, uh, and neither do you for that matter. But I'm just saying there has to be some restrictions on mail-in balloting, mm-hmm. it seems to me. Yeah, I mean, we just have to push it at the, the state level, hold up Florida again, you know, mm. as the example here. Mm. Um, you know, you just tabulate and count as soon as you get those votes. Right. Um, so at least we're not waiting days or weeks. Rich Lowry, Editor-in-Chief, National Review. Great to talk Thanks, to you, Larry. Rich. Thanks, for the, buddy. For the record, I give you lots of credit, Larry. Lots <laughs> of credit. Bucket of credit coming your way. Okay. Thanks, buddy. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side of the break, we're going to talk to the great Steve Forbes about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in elections. I'm Cutlow. Please stay around. Now, back to the Larry Cutlow Show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Cutlow. 
This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Great pleasure to be with you during the week. Please join us. Fox Business Network, the name of the show is Kudlow, Monday through Friday, 4 to 5 p.m. And if you can't get us at 4, text your favorite nine-year-old who will teach you how to DVR the show. It's not hard. And you can live stream us on the Internet all across the country, LarryKudlowShow.com, LarryKudlowShow.com, throughout the country, around the globe, and throughout the solar system. And we bring in my great friend Steve Forbes, chairman and editor-in-chief, Forbes Media, and author of the very important book, for obvious reasons, Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. There you go, how to fix it. Anyway, Steve Forbes, thank you. It's great to talk to you. Let me let's be with you. Let's just do a little election stuff here. Republicans are going to they're going to take the House. Uh, and maybe still a shot at the Senate with Herschel Walker, um, Adam Laxalt. We'll see about that. Is it going to change anything in your judgment having the House? Uh, the answer is yes. And on the Senate side, if it's fifty-fifty, uh, yes, Democrats will have nominal control. But I think with elections coming up in twenty twenty-four. And uh, I think a lot of uh, incumbent Democrats are going to be looking to appear a little more moderate. Mm. So uh, so uh, I think a 50-50 would right now be a victory of sorts. But in the House of Representatives, yes, there's a lot they can do. They don't need a large majority, as Nancy Pelosi has demonstrated when she had a narrow Democrat majority. Uh, you can still get a lot done. And one of the things they should uh, go out of the block with in uh, January, we've discussed it before, is a bill. Uh, permitting oil and gas development on federal lands. And it's going to be wintertime. Let Biden veto that or let the Senate block that. That's going to be a prime issue. People know we have the oil and gas. Let's underline that with that kind of proposal. Now, there is a story, um, and the uh, White House spokesperson said this also, with Biden going to Egypt to talk about the Green New Deal and all that stuff. But they say... They want a permitting bill. This is the last remnant of the Joe Manchin fiasco. But they say that Biden's people are saying they want a permitting bill. You buy it? Uh, it sounds nice. But as we know, these people are great at titling bills. you got to look at the details. Uh, the Manchin bill, uh, first of all, only covered on the energy side, did not cover highways and bridges and things like that. Mm. So make it inclusive. And also, uh, don't have uh, stuff in there like they had that would allow uh, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission to override states uh, permitting on pipelines. It was a way. It was another one of these underhanded federal grabs that would have ended up uh, hurting the, uh, the the infrastructure for oil and gas instead of helping it. So yeah, very nice. But the Republicans should be weighing in with details on how to do it. So they go to the negotiating table and they don't get buffaloed with uh, something put in in the middle of the night on page 1,365. Mm. And so the mansion bill, yeah, very nice and, uh, and, and, and uh, sound. But if you looked at the details, had some real flaws. Yeah, I mean, in the House, Kathy McMorris Rogers, who will be running the Energy Committee, I think is going to put up her own version of a permitting bill. So it probably is going to be a whole lot better. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, I, Shelley Moore Capito has a also a version of it. I don't know the details in her bill in the Senate. But, I mean, here you've got, you know, Steve, you've got 
Joe Biden in Egypt uh, at this uh, green conference apologizing, right? This is an apology tour. We're so sorry that we pulled out of the Paris climate deal, but now we're back. This is like, remember Obama went around the world when he first got to be president apologizing for America's sins? Here we go again. And uh, by the way, that uh, Obama apology tour, among other things, set the stage for Putin's invasion of Ukraine and the Crimea in 2014. Mm. So we know where that, where that kind of thing leads. And one of, one of the things that uh, I hope the Republicans put in a permitting bill is overturning what the Biden administration did a few months ago, making it harder to get permits for infrastructure. As you know, under uh, the Trump administration, there were some very good deregulatory moves to make uh, doing bridges and uh, tunnels and highways faster doing it in a matter of months instead of 10 years. And the, and the, and the Biden administration threw those out and made it even more difficult. Mm. So I hope they get in the weeds on this and start taking all the bad regulatory moves they've had that block infrastructure, that block oil and gas development, and make sure it ain't going to happen again. Yeah, I mean, we had something called one federal decision. So it would all be centralized, and you wouldn't have to go to, you know, eight or ten different agencies and there also was a time limit. It had to be under two years. And I don't. That's right. Uh, and that's what has to be done on court cases. So you don't get these lawsuits that the Biden administration has been cahoots with these groups. You file a lawsuit then the Biden administration refuses to defend it in court and they get the they get their way that way. So, yes, time limits and uh, no more frivolous lawsuits. All that. We know how to do it. I hope our guys are, in, uh, are up to it. So let's turn back to the uh, inflation issue and your book, Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. Uh, we got a little bit of progress in the last CPI report. What are you thinking about the inflation story? Well, in terms of uh, that last CPI report, one of the things the government does each year is they revise the way they calculate health care costs. They do it in October. And uh, so you got to the anomaly of uh, health care costs going down uh, six tenths of a percent, or I guess that would be seven percent annually. We know that is not true. Mm. So uh, the months ahead will get more realistic on uh, the health care side. But the thing to remember is even if they, you get uh, two tenths of a percent from seven point seven down next month to seven point five or something like that, one, we have uh, serious gas shortages coming up, eating uh, oil shortages coming up. But we also, that means prices are still going up, maybe not as fast. But uh, so instead of uh, milk going from 299 to 319, it only goes to 309, it still goes up. You still get shocked every time you go to the marketplace. So uh, people aren't impressed with CPI numbers. They're impressed with what they actually see when they go to the checkout counter. You know, um, with these numbers, uh, real wages down 18 consecutive months, which, you know, I've always felt was the soft underbelly of the Biden economy because of the inflation shock. And um, I don't know how that's going to be changed. I mean, uh, you know, so inflation. Well, one, one, one of the things our, our, our people should do, even though, again, it will be blocked in the Senate, but again, it will be an issue for senators and Congress people in 2024, is tax cuts. Mm -hmm. A lot of you know, since you were in the middle of it, mm -hmm. uh, some of these things start expiring. And so small businesses are going to get slammed. 
and uh, put the Democrats on record that they want to keep that doubling of the exemption that the uh, tax cut bill of 2017 uh, put in. So uh, do do it a thousand cuts. Take the good pieces of it, put it up for a vote, passes the House, then it kills it. Great issue. Oh, they want to make your uh, tax income taxes go up. Isn't that a violation of, of, of uh, Biden's pledge? So go after them the way they would go after us. Yeah, well, that's why I think people are, including Republicans who are now, you know, pointing fingers and recriminating and whatnot. But taking back the House is a huge thing. I keep saying this, but then I keep reading, you know, everybody's firing bullets at Trump. And then now they're firing bullets at Kevin McCarthy. They're firing bullets at uh, Mitch McConnell. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe some of that is deserved. Maybe it's not. But the point is, I keep trying to make is, if you have the House, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. And one of the things, and you've made this point before, is one of the things the House should push is starting to obey the law, starting to obey the rules on budgeting and spending. Yes, which you know has been made a mockery of for a generation now. Yeah. So obey the budget rules and things like that. So uh, you don't get some of this crazy stuff that they do. They actually have to work to uh, do what they're supposed to do on the budget side. So uh, there's a lot the House can do if uh, they're unified and have that sense of purpose. You don't need a big majority. You just need a unified group, and you can get a lot done. Yeah, the unified part is very important. Actually, in some ways, if you have a a smaller majority, uh, it'll put more pressure on them. I mean, Steve, you know. That that does focus the minds wonderfully. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly where I was going. I mean, you can either hang together or you can hang separately. And they have to think about that. But, yeah, regular order is the key point on the budget. We haven't had regular order in I don't know how many years. You should hold hearings. You should call in witnesses. You should do you know, both sides of the argument, not have five or six people in a room and produce a 5,000-page bill that nobody knows what's inside the bill. I mean, that's some a reform that they definitely have to make. Anyway, Steve Forbes, thank you for these moments. Uh, we appreciate it very much. Folks, uh, we're going to take a very quick break and then uh, talk some more politics with my great friend Monica Crowley, former Assistant Secretary of the Treasury. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. All right, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We've got Monica Crowley, former Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, author, columnist, Monica Crowley podcast. I finally made the cut on that one. <laughs> we bring in my dear friend, Monica. Monica, so um, everybody is just pounding our former boss, Donald Trump. Pounding. Okay? I don't... I, I'm not saying the guy's perfect. Um, he's made a few statements maybe I wish he hadn't made in the last week. But, gee whiz, is he the problem here? I mean, is this deserved in your judgment? We're both alumni of the Trump administration, so I'll be completely transparent. Uh, but honestly, really, it's all about Trump? Huh? Is that fair? Well, good morning, Larry, and thank you for having me. No, it is not fair. But keep in mind that you have very powerful forces in Washington and around the country that are they have all kinds of affiliations. You can call them deep state, permanent bureaucracy, the propaganda press. But overall, it is the uni party. It is the establishment on both sides where the real power in Washington, D.C. resides. That uni party 
has always despised Donald Trump because he's not one of them and because they cannot control him. Donald Trump came in and Larry, you and I both served in his administration. I was, I think, his very first uh, non-family public supporter about 72 hours after he came down the escalator because I saw how different he was. And I saw that his heart was in the right place in terms of actually wanting to solve America's problems. He comes into office and actually starts doing that Mm. with the help of you and so many others, actually delivers a booming economy and world peace. I don't know what more people expect or want from an American president, but the uni party's interests, Larry, are in keeping America's problems festering so that they can remain in power and keep their absolute grip on power. Mm. So Trump is an existential threat to all of them. And they have been, first of all, for the last six years, throwing the kitchen sink at him to stop him from the Russia hoax to the impeachments, all the way up to this latest uh, document dispute at Mar-a-Lago. They have been doing everything they can to stop him, and they have been looking for yet another opening to do that. And the midterm elections, because they were underwhelming for the Republicans, gave them an opening to blame him. He is not at fault here. Is he perfect? Of course not. But when you look at who's at fault, he hasn't been in power in two years. The people we should be blaming are the Republican leadership, and you may feel uh, differently about this than I do, but I feel very strongly that the Mick leadership, McConnell, McCarthy, and McDaniel need to go because they have had two years to fix these problems in these states. Two years to work with the states on mass mail-in balloting, early voting, a drop boxes, ballot harvesting, and they have done nothing. Mm. And now this is why we're in this position. It's not Trump's fault. It's their fault. You know, when, uh, by the way, I totally agree about this crazy mail-in balloting which is a scam. We talked about it on the TV show the other night. Uh, the Democrats are playing this thing like they won't debate uh, until the mail-in balloting is virtually, you know, over. And then people see the debate and they say, geez, I wish I hadn't voted for, you know, for Fetterman, for example. So that's a scam. The other thing that's so interesting to me, Monica, where I really disagree with his critics, they talk about how, you know, he backed bad candidates. You look at these J.D. Vance, Ted Budd, Carrie Lake, Adam Laxalt, Blake Masters, Herschel Walker. Monica, these are people of accomplishment. These are good people. I'll add Bolduck to this list, too. These are people of accomplishment. And I didn't see, you know, Mitch McConnell took pot shots at them. Uh, I don't think that should have happened. I mean, I think, sure, some of them lost. Others won. Vance won. Laxalt, I think, is going to win. Blake lost, but it's very close. Herschel's still in the game. You know, these aren't like dummies. These are people of serious accomplishments in their fields, including business and entrepreneurship. Um, I think Trump actually had pretty good choices. You know, it's very difficult to unseat Democratic incumbents when they're getting, you know, tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars and the new people, the brand new names, don't. I mean, I think that's a very unfair charge. When you hear people in the uni party, Larry, talk about candidate quality, they only mean on the right. They only mean Republicans. Otherwise, they would not have uh, nominated, you know, the, the invalid in the White House right now who ran a, a basement campaign. And they would not have nominated an elected 
John Fetterman, who can't even form a sentence. Okay, so when they talk about candidate quality, they only mean on our side, Mm. number one. Number two, when they talk candidate quality, they're attacking only the America First candidates. All of those who you mentioned, from Vance to Oz to Balduck, they are accomplished people, but they're America First. In other words, they are similar to Donald Trump in the sense that they cannot be controlled by the uni party. Therefore, they must be destroyed. This is why McConnell militated against so many of these people, pulling the funding from Blake Masters in Arizona, pulling the funding from Baldock in New Hampshire, yeah. putting the money behind Lisa Murkowski against the America First candidate in Alaska. Larry, we are in not just a war for the future of the country, but in the conservative movement, we are in a civil war because it's the uniparty conservatives like Mitch McConnell versus the America First conservatives that cannot be controlled and actually want to bring this country back and want to and want to decimate the status quo where McConnell, McCarthy and McDaniel want the status quo because it enriches and empowers them. So this is the war that we're fighting right now, Larry. Well, you know, Mitch McConnell's an old friend of mine. Um, but I got to say, it, I didn't understand what, what you just said is right. He's pulling the money from Baldock. He pulled the money from Masters. Uh, he also put a fortune into Lisa Murkowski in Alaska mm-hmm. against Kelly uh, Shabaka, who was the Trump candidate. I mean, Lisa Murkowski is a very lovely woman, so I'm not being personal here, but, you know, she voted in favor of Katanji Brown-Jackson. She voted against Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, she voted for all of Biden's spending bills, or, or many of Biden's spending bills, maybe not all of them. Um, she voted for the woman that runs the Interior Department, Deb uh, Howell, whatever her name is, who has, you know, stopped all manner of permitting for oil and gas projects. I mean, why would you do that? I mean, Lisa Murkowski doesn't hardly represent any of the values of Alaska. Uh, Kelly Shabaka, on the other hand, yeah, she was backed by Trump. She's also a genuine conservative who was in favor of energy independence. Uh, so I don't, I, that's something, another thing I, I didn't understand that. Well, the the establishment, the deep state, the uni party, it all protects itself. That's what's actually going on here. And, you know, Mitch McConnell would rather have a Senate minority he can control than a Senate majority he can't. Mm. And that is just the brutal truth, Larry. You know, again, this is all about we want to solve America's problems, but permanent Washington doesn't because keeping our problems going is what keeps them in power and their absolute grip, grip on power. Right now, Larry, I'm talking to you from Phoenix, Arizona. It's a gorgeous day. I'm yeah. about to give a big speech here today. And this is ground zero for Carrie Lake and, and Blake Masters. Carrie Lake is still in a dogfight. It's yeah. a little up in the air about Masters, too. But why are they going with full force against Carrie Lake because she's basically Donald Trump in a dress, right? She is, she is um, an existential threat to all of them the way Trump was and is. Therefore, they must be destroyed. And Larry, anytime you get a talented disruptor 
like a Trump, like a Kerry Lake, the entire empire strikes back against you. Mm. It's what's happening to Lake. It's what continues to happen to Donald Trump. That's what's going on here. And, you know, the other side, including the uni party on our side, like McConnell, they have the protection of the press. And when you have that, you can literally get away with anything. That's what's going on. I think that Carrie Lake is terrific. I interviewed her the other night on the TV show. I, I mean, she's very smart, very, very personable uh, and very conservative. I mean, she's a disruptor. Anyway, I got to go. Monica Crowley, you're terrific. Lay it out there. We'll see how this turns out. You know, it's not over till it's over. Anyway, folks, stick around. We're going to talk to uh, John Carney after this and talk to him about this unbelievable cryptocurrency crash that's going on. I mean, this one is really something. Uh, I'm Larry Kudlow. We'll do crypto right after this. Now back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. So talk about crack ups. We had a major cryptocurrency crash this past week. And I'd go through some intro stuff, but I'm not sure I understand it. FTX is the company, and they've gone down, and their owner or CEO has gone down, and there's corruption in the middle of this. So it's a very ugly story. The banking system did not go down. That's the good news. But this whole whole story looks pretty awful. So we're going to call on John Carney, Breitbart News Editor, Economics and Finance and the Breitbart Business Digest. John, you have been writing up a storm on this, and this is a very ugly story. But as you note in your thing, this is um, this uh, did not bring down the banking system. Uh, this was um, a Lehman Brothers story with no bailout, not a Bear Stern story where there was a sort of quasi-bailout by J.P. Morgan. So, John Carney, what can you tell us about this? What should people know? Because everybody's interested in crypto, and a lot of people own crypto. Where to begin is what FTX is. FTX is an exchange where you can buy different kinds of cryptocurrencies. Uh, It was one of the more popular exchanges. It had been valued by venture capitalists, at $32 billion earlier this year. Oof. It's now valued at zero. So this is, you know, it has gone all, it, it, they filed for bankruptcy on Friday. So it, this is, you know, was the, one of the high flyers of the entire crypto space. And it has now crashed all the way down. Well, that's something. What did you say? $32 billion to zero? $32 billion to zero. It, this was a place where if you had, say, you know, Bitcoin, and you wanted to trade it for another kind of cryptocurrency, if mm-hmm. you wanted to take dollars and turn them into cryptocurrencies, that's what you could do. It was run by a young man named Sam Bankman Freed, mm-hmm. who uh, himself was a billionaire before he was 30 years old because he had founded this company. And he had another company that was a hedge fund, Alameda Research. Mm. And what exactly Alameda Research is based in in Hong Kong. FTX is mainly based in uh, the Bahamas, which, by the way, can be red flags, 
right? When you have these companies mm. that are based, you know, he's an American kid. Why are all his companies based all over the world? Well, one reason might be because he was looking for a jurisdiction that wasn't going to mess about with what he was doing. Mm. And uh, so right now, people who had put money into the FTX exchange can't get at it at all. Mm. Because there's unlike with banking, where deposits are protected from bankruptcy, or even, frankly, securities exchanges, where, you know, if your broker goes under, you have a SIPIC, which is a, you know, insurance for your brokerage account. Mm -hmm. Those are bankruptcy remote accounts, meaning they don't get automatically stayed in a bankruptcy. Your deposit, if a, a bank can't really go bankrupt, but if it did, your deposits would still be available to you. That's not the case in these crypto exchanges because they are not registered securities brokers. They're not banks. There's no lender of last resort to bail them out. The Fed can't step in here. There's no, you know, there's no FDIC. So people who had money on the FTX exchange can't get it. They're going to be in bankruptcy court with everybody else and behind any other creditors that are there. You're just a general creditor right now to this exchange. And one of the things that seemed to have happened is this exchange lent possibly tens or let's say $10 billion, the Wall Street Journal reported, of customer funds mm. to the hedge fund Alameda run by the same guy and apparently sometimes run out of the very same offices. So they seem to have lacked sort of a, you know, a wall between the exchange and the related hedge fund. And that seems very dodgy. And, you know, I, I do think, you know, uh, criminal investigations will be launched into what was going on here. That one has a Bernard Madoff feel to it. It really does. Um, and, you know, who knows what was in the, you know, like the agreements that people checked off. But look, I don't think anybody understood, particularly not this. Apparently, this came as a surprise to the venture capitalists who had, you know, a lot more access to how these things were supposed to be working. Mm. Um, that that Sam Bagman Freed could transfer money out of FTX into his private hedge fund. That seems very strange. Uh, I think a lot of customers will feel like they were defrauded, and I'm sure both you know the SEC as well as the Justice Department are going to be investigating what exactly happened here. The company had he's resigned from being the CEO, uh, but you know that's that's not much protection. Hmm. He was a billionaire; he no longer is. It's not clear how much of his assets were still tied up in these companies. There are, I've read reports that said he owns maybe a hundred million dollars, maybe more than that of property down in the Bahamas that he had bought, you know, the, the condos and luxury, mm. uh, uh, you know, estates down there. I'm, you know, they, I think we're going to have to learn a lot more about what happened here, but it does seem like, you know, that there is, there's almost no customer protection in this space. I don't think a lot of people realize how exposed they were. So we're talking about, you know, this is, people call it the Wild West. I wouldn't say Wild West. I would say it's pre-1930s financial regulation right. in Wall Street. You know, yeah. it's like we, Wild West doesn't capture what it is. This is back in the day before we had, you know, a 33 actor, a 34 act that actually, you know, 
got a hold of what uh, securities firms were allowed to do. So, John Carney, uh, for people listening to this, um, I mean, if they're trading Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, what should they do? I mean, Bitcoin lost 21% this past week. I'm sure it had a lot to do with this. And then also, John, I mean, so do you stop trading? Do you get out of cryptocurrencies altogether? What what, what, what advice can you give people who are listening to this uh, disaster story? So one thing I would say is be very careful of who your custodian is. For Bitcoin, for instance, you don't even need a custodian. You can actually hold the key, meaning, you know, which is just a long string of numbers that will let you access your Bitcoins and transfer them around. But if your cryptocurrencies are sitting on an exchange somewhere, which apparently, you know, that is the most common way for a normal person in cryptocurrency to, you know, own their cryptocurrencies, you have to be worried at this point. I don't think you know that uh, that it is safe. FTX was not a, you know, edgy or fly-by-night firm. It was a very mainstream firm, you know, had money from Sequoia Capital, you know, the the Mm. very prominent venture capitalist firms were backing it. So this was not like, you know, some very dodgy fly-by-night operation. So I would say I would be very concerned about who your custodian is, who holds your stuff. Because, again, this isn't bankruptcy remote. If the company that's holding your stuff enters bankruptcy, you will not have some sort of privileged access to it the way you would with a normal securities account or a bank account. And so, you know, yes, there are probably safer ones, but I, there's so little transparency in this space mm. that I wouldn't be able to tell you how to tell who the safer one is. Again, there's not really good regulation about this, and there's definitely no insurance available you know, no FDIC, no CIPIC, nothing preventing you from having your coins lost if the company goes into bankruptcy. Uh, John Carney, what is is Coinbase an exchange also? Yes. And Coinbase so, is safe? It, so I would say it's one of the safer ones because what because they say they are not trading their clients' assets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, that would be one I would point to as one that I would feel more comfortable with. The problem is I, I've seen some of, uh, some of the companies online refer to coins as cash. So when they say they have a cash position, do they mean that, that that's their dollar position? Or are they talking about backing your dollar deposits or your Bitcoin deposits with other cryptocurrencies, it's not clear to me what the industry standard is. And that's troubling because let's say, you know, I have money in, you know, one kind of cryptocurrency, but and you say, yeah, well, we're not holding exactly that cryptocurrency, but we have a different one. And that other one collapses. Now you might not be able to pay me back in the cryptocurrency that I thought I had on account with you. So that's a big problem. Uh, and I don't think we, you know, we, this stuff hasn't been a lot around enough. And frankly, I think it's really Congress's job to legislate in this area, trying to appoint, uh, you know, try, trying to regulate this with rules written in the 1930s, mm. you know, deciding whether it's a security or, you know, is it a bond? Is it a stock? Which is it closer to? I don't think that's really going to fit very well. You know, the, the year FM radio was first invented, 
Uh, that's where that's when the regulations are from. So it's not going to work. We need updated laws, and Congress shouldn't try to pump this to the regulators. They should actually, you know, write the rules the way they did the first time around. Right. I'm no- I'm noticing just in the last minute, John Carney, um, the banks did fine this week. I mean, I'm looking at City was Citigroup was up 11 percent, Goldman seven and a half, Bank of America. So it didn't affect the banking system. Just was it- That's right. The banking system is very remote from this. Right. They, you know, they they, ha- they they they're they've edged around some of this cryptocurrency stuff, but I don't think there's any threat to the greater banking system from this. And frankly, that's one of the reasons that this these guys couldn't get bailed out by a bank. Yep. Because no bank will touch FTX. They don't want anything to do with it. So thirty-two billion to zero. That's pretty cool, John Carney. That's really great. crazy. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm proud of them. <laughs> <laughs> you know the old Wall Street saw. How do you how do you how do you get a small fortune? <laughs> you start, start with, with a very big one. <laughs> <laughs> John Carney of Breitbart. I don't know. I don't mean to make light of it, but it is. You know, it's got its sick, humorous parts of it. Thank you, John. We appreciate it very much. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to bring in media experts uh, Joe Concha next. I'm Larry Kudlow. Please stick around. We'll be right back. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. We're going to turn to Joe Concha, media and politics columnist for The Hill, Fox News contributor, a new book. Come on, man. The truth about Biden's no good, horrible, very bad presidency and how to return America to greatness. First of all, Joe Concha, how are you? You good? I'm in Arizona, and it's cold here, Larry. I didn't see that coming, but apparently the desert gets cold at night. Go figure. Desert gets cold at night. I actually knew that. So um, <laughs> come on, man. The truth about Biden's no good, horrible, very bad presidency. What I'm reading in the media is I'm going to paraphrase the truth about Donald Trump's no good, horrible, very bad everything. I've never seen yeah. at post-election, uh, I don't know, not all conservative media, I might add, but mainstream media piling on Trump, the Wall Street Journal editorial page piling on Trump, the New York Post, edit, these are Republican conservative newspapers piling on my former boss, What do you make of this, Joe Concha? How do you interpret this? Your listeners aren't going to like my answer here, Larry, but he deserves all the criticism that he is getting. (laughs) The fact that he is attacking two wildly successful GOP governors and Ron DeSantis, who just won in a landslide, and not by running up the score, by the way, uh, with with his election in Republican counties, winning in Miami-Dade, winning in places like Palm Beach County. These are deep blue counties, and he's able to court those constituencies in a way we have not seen. And Glenn Youngkin, the president went after also, who won in Virginia, which is which was, anyway, a blue state until he won last year by running on the issues. And what Trump has a problem with, apparently, is that DeSantis and Youngkin both won without his help. In 2021 mm. and in 2022. Mm. And now he's going after him three weeks before a critical election in Georgia, where if Herschel Walker wins, you're, you're looking at probably a Republican controlled Senate. And he's doing this completely unprovoked, by the way, by DeSantis and Yunkin, who haven't said one bad word about the president. And he's doing this now. And I'm telling you, I'm at a conference out here in Arizona. Nobody 
I mean nobody likes this right now. He is hemorrhaging the support he has. I'm telling you that. You know, um, uh, I have a solution. I don't know that it's an adequate solution, but I uh, said this on our show last night and wrote it up as a uh, column. I I think that uh, my former boss should put off his candidacy announcement until after Herschel Walker. I mean, the midterms are not over until the Walker runoff is over. The Walker runoff is the most important thing, it seems to me, if we're going to make America great again and take back the Senate. And I also think, uh, Joe, that he should pony up. He's got a lot of money in his pack. Uh, he should pony up, you know, several millions of dollars to help the Herschel Walker operation. Uh, I think those would be two very good things for him. I, I would look. I'm very loyal to Donald Trump. I like the guy a lot. I basically love the guy. I enjoyed working for him. But I think he's been off his game. I'll certainly grant you that. I think some of these statements are just non-starters. I don't know why he made them. But anyway, those are two points of mine. What do you think about that? That is pragmatic. That is logical. Yeah. That's the best thing for the country if Donald Trump does that. I have a feeling he won't. But think about the overall premise we're talking about here, where a lot of Republicans are now saying, please don't go to Georgia and campaign for Herschel Walker. Because why is that? People will vote for Raphael Warnock, but not because they love the Warnock brand, just like they didn't like the Biden brand, mm-hmm. but just to vote against Trump. And and that's what 2024 may be about, that if Trump runs, and in your point, yeah, you should absolutely not announce until after this election. But if he runs We saw what happened with Dr. Oz and Blake Masters. Here you have these overwhelmingly favorable conditions for Republicans. Inflation, wages not keeping up with inflation, crime, the border, immigration, education, everything was on the argument of the Republican side. And yet these two guys lost in states that used to be red states, right? I mean, we're we're talking about Pennsylvania, which the president won in 2016, and, and Arizona, which was a red state forever, and they still couldn't win. I mean, that, that's, that's where I, I really had pause with him running in 2024, because in speaking to people out here, they say exactly what you said. I love the guy. I love what he did. He put immigration and the border and ca- trade and regulations and, and all those things. He, he advanced all those issues and he won on them. But I wonder if at this point, Larry, there is fatigue around Donald Trump, who, let's face it, he announced in 2015, we're coming up on eight years and eight years and being in this sort of spotlight, even Ronald Reagan towards the end, it was like, okay, it's time for a new chapter. And I wonder, mm-hmm. when you think about Nancy Pelosi being in her 80s and Mitch McConnell being in his 80s and Chuck Schumer approaching 80 and Donald Trump going to be in his 80s if he wins uh, the election, maybe it's time to just go younger and go to the new generation of Republicans in Youngkin, DeSantis, Kemp, whoever it may be, because those guys are winning because they're running on issues. And I think that's what people want to get back to again, running on issues, not on personalities. You know, I had Herschel on the show last night. I mean, I've had him several times. I thought he was very good on the issues. That's why I'm sort of hopeful here. Um, And I said to him, I said, Herschel, Warnock is already throwing mud at him. Okay. And I said, how do you want to respond? You want to throw mud back? You want to go high road? And Herschel said, and I thought this was interesting, Joe. First thing he said was, no, I want to go high road on the issues. And he, you know, went down the litany uh, of issues that you yourself just mentioned, essentially. And then he said, though, if 
All right, if you want to throw mud, I can throw mud, and I will hurt him if I throw mud, but that's not what I want to do. And I think um, that's a wise decision by Herschel, but he has to be funded. He needs money. Now, Mitch McConnell, who I think is partly to blame, by the way, for the uh, Republican not coming out. I mean, I, I think Mitch made a whole bunch of mistakes, not only Trump, but Mitch, too. But in putting that aside for the moment... McConnell is poning up a couple of million bucks, uh, so they're going to basically have Governor Brian Kemp's get out the vote election day operation run that for Herschel and Kemp. And I'm a big fan of Brian Kemp, by the way, I always was, and he had a great election. So that's a good thing. Trump should help finance that as well. But Herschel could win that race, Joe Concha, if it's done right. Oh, completely, right? And here's the thing this is what Democrats do so well. They embrace the, the, the laws as they stand in terms of voting. They get a five-week head start in places like Georgia or a three-week head start. And we're, we're saying, no, only vote on Election Day. And that, that confines it to one day. And it, we, we need to get the vote out much, much more, much, much earlier. And, yes, fund these races. You're right. McConnell is absolutely to blame for what happened in these races because he didn't fund uh, a master's in Arizona, for example. So I'm not, I'm not blaming Trump. Mm. I'm not blaming a bunch of things that, that went on here, and the candidates weren't all that great either. But, yeah, uh, that, that's what, what's needed at this point because Herschel, he, he totally can win because the conditions on the ground are still the same. People aren't. Uh, Inflation is still the number one issue, mm. and crime is still a huge issue in places like Atlanta. And I just think that Herschel, if he just hammers home that message, takes the high road, and is funded the way he should be, then that should be that. But either way, Mr. McConnell absolutely has to go. Like I just talked about before, it's time for younger, better, new leadership. Yeah, he's going to be challenged. I was just wondering, Joe, if you know, is there such a th- in a runoff? Is there early mail-in voting, or you just have yeah, to? I, how's that work? I, I asked about this, and yes, there is early voting, and I believe it starts in nine days, and oh. it's, it's something like maybe two weeks beforehand. So. The, the encouragement should be get out and vote as soon as you possibly can, mm-hmm. just in case something goes sideways on the day of Election Day or you just plain forget. You know, it, it, get out there and do it now. But, yeah, there is early voting, and it, it goes on, uh, I think, starting, I want to say, November 21st. Sounds huh. about right to me? Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't sure about that, but that's very interesting. Well, this is where I think um, Brian Kemp's crew will do very well because he's got, a, apparently, a terrific uh, crew, Governor Kemp, and that's going to really help yeah. Herschel. Um, you think McConnell gets dumped? You, as it's you, hard, you know. Like we always say, every time Pelosi's up for House Speaker again, she always seems to to get the position. Like these guys, once they're entrenched, it's hard to get them out. But I, I would say, I hope so for mm. for the good of the country. Mm. Uh, but you know, again, you, you look at these races, and there's anger out there that. There was supposed to be a red wave, and it just simply became a red ripple, maybe. And somebody's, you know, got to be responsible who's currently in leadership, not just the guys who are outside of it. I would think that he would be replaced, but who knows how entrenched he is and how much support he has internally. But he's definitely going to be challenged like he's never been. That's for sure. The cavalry turned into a platoon, Joe. But platoons (laughs) can be still very powerful. (laughs) Joe Concha, everybody. Media and politics columnist for The Hill and Fox News contributor. Thank you, Joe. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side of the break, we're going to do some stock market work. By the by, it was a very positive week for stocks. Not crypto, but stocks. I'm Cudlow. We'll be back after this. Now, back to the Larry Cudlow Show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Cudlow. It is great to be with you. 
You got to do some stock market work. By the way, join us during the week. Fox Business Network, FBN, 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. The name of the show is Cudlow. And by the way, you can live stream us here on the Internet all across the country and around the world and throughout the solar system. That's LarryCudlowShow.com. A lot of takers around the solar system. In fact, some of the things we're covering today reminds me of the solar system. Anyway, we're going to do some stock market work. We've got Nancy Tangler, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Lafford Tangler Investments. And we've got Jack Perusian, Chairman of the Global Smart Commodity Group. So, kids, very interesting, big week. Dow's up uh, 4%, 1,345. NASDAQ up 8%. Wow. 848 points. A lot of that came on Thursday. I think it was Thursday. Was it Thursday? I think it was Thursday. I think that's because they figured out the GOP was going to take over the House for sure. Not everyone agrees with that point of view. But also we got a little lighter CPI number. So let's dig right in on this, Nancy Tangler. What's going on here? And by the way, one more point. We were just talking before the break about the cryptocurrency breakdown. What a great story. But it did not affect the banking system at all, which is a sign of strength for our our whole situation, our whole story. So anyway, cryptos, um, Bitcoin went down 21%. But we're still alive. We are solvent, as uh, my pal Jimmy Rogers used to say. What do you think, Nancy Tangler? <laughs> well, I... Uh, that was a great segment, by the way, uh, and a great show. And hello to Jack. Um, so I, I think a couple of things, Larry. This has been an extraordinarily volatile year. We've had 88% of the days um, where the S&P 500 has traded, um, volatility has traded up above 1% in either direction. And so it's hard to draw conclusions in the near term. I think the market began sniffing out um, divided government uh, earlier uh in October, I mean, in toward the end of October, mm. and then I think what we're seeing now is the CPI number. Yep, it was it wasn't as bad as it was expected. We still have a big battle on our hands, and there are a lot of anomalies in that number. One of which was healthcare. Uh, we were actually it has a ten month lag, so we were measuring healthcare uh, in 2021 in the recent numbers that was pent up demand from 2020. So you know, once you back all this out, you say, okay, well, we did hit peak inflation in uh in june at 9.1 or two percent that's our view and that has always been a good time to buy stocks uh usually after that they're up somewhere over 18 percent in the next 12 months so you have to be very careful and nimble at how you go in there um we do need to see you know i have the dubious honor in living in arizona and nevada where they can't get, count votes in either state ah. so we, ah. we need to see we need to see. Yeah, it's it's just shameful. But we need to see, you know, that finalized. Laxalt's um, lead has been uh, marginalized to like one tenth of one percent with 95 percent of the votes coming in. So we just have to see where, what the balance of power is finally and ultimately going to reflect. But I do think the market is sensitive to that. Um, and m- many people don't agree with that. But in the near term, last thing I'll say. It's it's the algos driving. They own short term volatility, and that provides opportunities for for folks like us who can go in and buy stocks at um, or sell them at inflated or uh, reduced prices. But Nancy, let me just follow up. So you have places in Nevada and Arizona. Um, Why can't they vote? I mean, I'm sorry. 
Why can't they count the votes? Is it because yeah. they can't count or is it because there are other <laughs> issues? I mean, you know, this woman who's running for governor, and that's still a tough race uh, against Carrie, um, Carrie, who's a what's he? But oh, she, Katie Dobbs. So she's the secretary Dobbs. of state. So she's in yeah. charge of the election, even though she's running for governor, which I think is a bad thing to begin with. But what is it? They they don't know how to count. They don't know arithmetic uh, or they don't work hard. Or what is it? Because it's holding up the whole country. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of all of those things, huh. um, plus the fact that in Arizona, you they do not count mail-in ballots until the day of the election. That's an actual state law. Hmm. So you have, you know, I mean, look at look at the labor problems we have in the rest of the economy. This is not necessarily the tip top of the labor force. You know, these are people who have time on their hands and gratefully are willing to donate it. But I, I think you have to step back and say, if this happens every election, which it has for a number of elections, um, either there's something very wrong with the process, and you know the this, this county supervisors have been embarrassingly incompetent, and they they oversaw you know oversee this, or um, there there's corruption mm. of of some sort, uh. and and I just think we have to say that out loud yeah. and be willing to fix it. In Nevada, I I just this is my first time voting here, I I don't know, um, but my experience in Arizona has been choppy at best. Mm. Uh, both many of the times I voted. Jack Perusian, let me ask you something different. The M2 money supply has crashed, okay? About, I don't know, 15, 18 months ago, it was growing close to 30% year on year. Now it's, I don't know, zero or even negative. Now my monitorist friends, and I have a little monitorist blood in me, but I'm not quite as confident as they are, but nonetheless... Some people, like Steve Hankey and others, are saying that's a big thing, and it is going to bring down inflation with a year's lag or so, but it's also going to bring down the entire economy. You can't go from plus 30 to zero and not have bad impacts. What do you think of that article, about that argument? We're already seeing it, Larry. Uh, we're seeing it with consumer sentiment. We're seeing it with, with what's happening in the housing market. Uh, you, you're seeing it in, in all the little ancillary markets around stocks and bonds. So, you know, we're experiencing it. Look at the commodity markets. Uh, you know, everybody talks about commodity inflation. Well, I was with you a year ago on your show talking about the, the backwardation that we were seeing in these markets. And mm. sure enough, we're looking at that now. So all of a sudden, these input costs for these producers are a lot less. There's a lot less money circulating. Now, on the one hand, that's good because there was way too much out there. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, and you know, the, the problem is that there's going to be a lot of suffering. And that's one of the reasons why you, know, you see this rally. And, and you've got to say to yourself, as somebody who's been around these markets for a while, that this was a classic bear market rally. I mean, if you look in the dictionary of trading, it says bear market rallies are fast and vicious. And if you're short, they tear your heart out. Mm. And that's exactly what this week was. And, you know, when I talk to younger traders, they turn to me and they tell me, oh, the Fed's going to pivot. That's one of the reasons they're buying stocks. And I think <laughs> to myself, you're buying stocks in your portfolio because you think that the Cassandra, the soothsayer of doom, who just came out and told you that he's going to continue to raise rates, is going to pivot. See, that to me is ridiculous. 
that to me tells me that people have become conditioned to a Federal Reserve that comes out there to their rescue and just floods the system with cash whenever they need it. And that's the problem that we have with this last rally and, and the problem that I'm having with the market over the course of these last few months. Until we have a Federal Reserve that says to us, job is done. We already see it. One number does not do that. Yeah. It need, we need a couple of good CPI numbers for us to actually start to feel that effect hit the market. But the problem is what you just brought up. It might be too much at that point. Well, just saying, I mean, first of all, 7.7% inflation, I think, is still a high number. Now, oh, yeah. the, um, the so-called core inflation, which is kind of a bogus thing, but uh, that's at 6% for the last three months and 6.3% for the last 12 months. So that's three times the Fed's target of two. Food, just looking at that, Nancy, food is up 9.1 over the past three months at an annual rate, and food is up 10.9 for the 12 months. So I wouldn't exactly go screaming like a banshee that inflation is over and the Fed's going to pivot and they're going to stop tightening rates. I mean, I'm just saying I could be wrong. I mean, this doesn't seem to me. Yeah, I've tossed it out to both of you. I mean, what? Really? The tightening is over? Um, This is nirvana because food prices um, are up nine. No, I just called 11 percent for the last 12 months. What a wonderful number. 11 percent. And that's not inflation. No, I, I totally agree. And, and Jack brings up an excellent point on traders that are younger and haven't been through this before. But at the margin, I think we will see a decrease. Although, you know, the Cleveland Fed is showing core CPI. Well, let's use PCE because that's what the Fed uses, um, rising from October to November. Right. 10 days. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's very choppy, but historically there's been a symmetrical relationship between inflation rising and inflation declining. And it took us 16 months. I think the data goes back to 1951. And it's not perfect. It's not a perfectly symmetrical relationship. But, but you, do, you do see a, a pretty strong case for, you know, counting the number of months that inflation has gone up. So we, it took us 16 months to get from zero to where we are now. And then, you know, we, we began to turn over. And so it, I don't think it's going to be easy. And I don't think the Fed's ever going to get, at least in the near term, back to 2%. I think we're going to be at higher levels for much longer for many of the reasons mm-hmm. that we all know. But um, it doesn't mean that you can't you can't find places to make money in stocks and bonds. And so that's what we've been doing is trying to root around. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's going to be ugly for a long time. And declaring victory is a fool's errand. Yeah, I, I think. think so. All right, let's take a quick break. We got Nancy Tangler from Laffer Tangler Investments, Jack Berusian, Global Smart Commodity Group. I'm Cudlow. I still want to know, does the money supply matter? I mean, I don't know. It just kind of looks ugly. Anyway, we'll be right back. we me talk some crypto, too, on the other side of the break. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We are here talking stocks with Nancy Tangler of Laffer Tangler Investments and Jack Berusian of the Global Smart Commodity Group. Kids, I don't want to obsess about this. I just want to know one more pass. Does it matter that M2 has collapsed? From plus 30 to, I'm going to say, zero, even though I think it's minus. Does that matter? I mean, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. What do you think, Jack? 
I don't think it matters right now. I don't think you have worry about the system seizing or anything of that sort. But what you do have is the Fed that is now curtailing their balance sheet. You have headwinds for, for money supply. So, uh, again, I, I don't think we're feeling that stress yet. But if we start to see it, it would more than likely be in the credit markets. What do you think, Nancy? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think Jack's right on, on that aspect of it. I, I also think it does have a correlation to inflation. I mean, if you looked at 2020, it was up, money supply was up 25%. It was up 12%, I think, in 21. Mm-hmm. And now it's basically flat or negative. And so I think, you know, with the one-year lag, it, it will provide some um, at least release on inflation. But, uh, you know, we got to watch it closely, and we got to see how fast the Fed continues to QT. QT. Quantitative tightening. Jack Bruggen, what would you like to see as a signal or indicator that the bear market is turning into a new bull market? What would you need to see? I need to see some of the prosperity killers that are out there, as Nancy knows very well that Dr. Art Laffer taught us about. You know, we've got inflation. We have got, uh, you know, regulation. We have got higher taxes. We've got everything that, in my mind, is a headwind until we start to see some of that dissipate. And we might have seen the beginning of it with this midterm election, which is one of the reasons that people started to feel a little better about taking risk in the markets. But until we start to see that change, then we're going to have problems with the market continually going higher. It's, it's become a psychological problem at this point, Larry. I think you know, people have become so accustomed to buying every dip that they have to understand that there are times the market needs to heal itself. And this is one of those times. So it might be a little longer and it might be a lot more painful than people expect. Nancy, what would you like to see? Yeah, I'd like to see what happens in the lame duck session. Um, You know, President Biden viewed this election as a mandate. uh, And so we'll we'll see what they try to cram through. If if they if they increase STEMI checks via the uh, child tax credit, which he wants to do, if the loan forgiveness goes through, then I think the inflation battle is going to take a lot longer. Um, I, I also think, you know, we need to see from, you know, the Fed's dot plot last September didn't show, uh, and it wasn't even a majority, didn't show rates rising above 1% until 2024. Um, I wrote a piece recently called The the Savant Idiot at the Federal Reserve. Ah. This is a Joseph Epstein um, Ah. point of phrase, but Ah. someone who's who's learned, brainy, brilliant uh, even, but gets everything important wrong. And I think, you know, because we know that that's what's happened, it's difficult to make – sense of the mixed messaging that's coming out. So we saw in the statement that the Fed gave a nod to the lag in monetary policy. Then he came out, you know, super hawkish. But now we're starting to see the other members come out and moderate and say, you know, maybe it's time to pause. Now, a pause doesn't mean a pivot for sure. Um, But I think letting the market digest some of this will also be very positive because earnings have, I mean, there've been many disappointments, but there've also been companies that have announced beats and raising guidance in 2023. Mm -hmm. So it's, you have to be very selective where you're focused. um, And you know, that that's what we'll be looking for is when the fed gets the message. You know, these fed guys just keep yapping out there. They think, they're all bucking for cable talk show hosts or something. <laughs> you know, I mean, look, we can a, a good cable talk show host can, you know, be irresponsible. <laughs> but the Federal Reserve president's not supposed to be irresponsible. That's all I'm saying. You know, a lot of a lot of this can change, Larry, within the next couple of weeks if we see Congress flip. 
You know, and, and, it's, and Nancy, it's a sham you're not in Illinois where, where we count real fast. In fact, we count five times <laughs> over, uh, you know, so uh, it's, uh, it's amazing. You know, they, they call the races here before they're even done. So that, that's, that's the way we do them here. But, but no, but we can see things change dramatically. Look, if we see a, a Republican Congress, you've got a, a president that wants to leave a legacy of being able to work and leave some lasting legislation. He's not going to get anything done unless he works with that Republican Congress. So, so again, I think these next couple of weeks could be very telling. By the way, he has said, and it was corroborated, they didn't walk it back, that they want a permitting bill to uh, take the handcuffs off oil and gas production. You said that. This is like Joe Manchin 5.0 or whatever. I don't know if I believe a word of it, and I don't know what bill they're talking about. And if they want to spend a lot of money... They're going to have a hard time doing it. But uh, it'll be a couple of weeks. I mean, a permitting bill would be you know, mildly bullish, it seems to me. I wouldn't discount that. But I can't – I'm always looking for a turning point. I mean, what are we missing, kids? You know what I mean? It's like we've been around all of us. What are we missing? And that's why I come back to this M2 stuff because I, I don't think you should rely on M2. But there's some weird thing going on here. Maybe it's because federal spending has temporarily slowed. And maybe federal spending is going to pick up again because of all these bills and the Green New Deals. And that's going to drive M2 up again. I don't know. But it just seems like something's going on to go from plus 30 to zero in a year. I don't know. I just think um, I don't want to obsess about it, but I guess I am obsessing about it. But, but Larry, remember, we've had the printing presses running at full tilt now for a long time. So, uh, you know, I, I think just to see that, I, I think, is, a, is surprising on, on surface. But when, when you take a step back and understand where we were, what we did, and what's happening, I think it's a little bit more digestible, especially for the economists out well, there that I've talked to. I don't know. I mean, again, we're probably spending way too much time on it, but it could be predicting if you – <laughs> Back in the 60s and 70s, the heyday of monetarism, if you saw that kind of move, Nancy Tangler, you would say two things. First, we're going into a very deep recession because nominal GDP will be crushed. And second, following that, we will end inflation. You would say that. Now, those models haven't worked that way in a long time, although briefly, from the pandemic spending to the money supply, it has worked in the last two years. I'm just saying, I'm somebody, keep an eye on them too. Ed Hyman's watching it. Steve Hankey's watching it. I don't know. It's just something. It's not irrelevant. Yeah. Bullish or bearish? There's a lot of things. Bullish or bearish, oh, Nancy? Come on. Um, bullish so or bearish? Collectively, collectively bullish yep. uh, and adding ladders, bond ladders to our portfolios for the first time in two years. Mm, bond ladders. So the 10 year. Let's see, 381, that dropped 35 basis points last week. Yeah. That's some more insanity. Yeah. 381 down 35 basis points. All right, bond ladder. Um, Jack Brugian, you ready to buy Bitcoin back? <laughs> buy crypto? Yeah. 
If I buy Bitcoin at all, it'll be in a regulated exchange. It'll be a derivative of Bitcoin, <laughs> either over at the CME or, or I'll be doing Beto over at, uh, you know, on the New York Stock Exchange. But I wouldn't touch anything in an unregulated environment with these crypto. Who knows what you're getting? Who knows what they're doing with this money? There, there is no accountability. There's, we have to get our arms and hands around this. This mm-hmm. is a, a monster. It's a leviathan. And it's only going to get worse unless we do something about it. And people are going to get hurt. We've already seen destruction of wealth, especially with people that are under 35, you know, to, to, like I've never seen before. I, you know, maybe the dot-com bubble is probably the closest thing that I can come to it. But, but we need to, to get our arms around that. But if you're going back to the original question, the only way I would even touch any of those products is in a regulated environment in which they trade. Bitcoin is down 64% year to date. Yeah. That's very cool. But I'll tell you, one guy, he was worth $32 billion and now he's worth zero. That's not too good. Right. <laughs> Nancy Tangler, <laughs> Jack Perugia, that'll be my, fa- my last word, $32 billion to zero in, in just a week's time, I think. I'm Cudlow. We'll have money and politics on the other side of the break. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Now, back to the Larry Cudlow Show. All right, folks, welcome back. We're going to talk some money and politics. We've got John Fun, National Review, National Affairs reporter and uh, Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline. And his book is Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote. There you go. We did it again. And Steve Moore of Freedom Works and also Committee to Unleash Prosperity. And his book is Govzilla. Gentlemen, welcome. Um, there's a couple of things that I've got that I think we should talk about. Uh, leadership revolts. Now, John Fund, I want to go to you first. The Freedom Caucus in the House, at least some of them, seem to want to get rid of Kevin McCarthy. Uh, I don't understand that. That's point number one. Point number two, they want this vacate the chair reform, which essentially would be a recall of the speaker, which would be self-destructive, and would help Democrats, not Republicans. Would you explain to me why at least this guy, what, the guy from Virginia, good, but others want to vacate the chair and destroy Kevin McCarthy and help the Democrats? What's that all about, John Fund? I'm the biggest fan of Kevin McCarthy. But if you're going to end up with a House majority of 221, 222, 223, to you know, ten seats more from the Democrat, less the, more than the Democrats. It is insane because there is no one, no one other than Kevin McCarthy, who can get a majority of the entire Congress because mm-hmm. the Republican leader has to be elected Speaker by the entire Congress, which means the Democrats get to vote on it. So it's an insane strategy. If it's if it's a negotiating tactic, it's a dangerous one to do it in public. It should be done in private. And if it's serious, then they show they don't know how to govern. Yes. I mean, I watched, um, I don't know, John, which it was a, a primetime show on, on Fox. Um, it was either Sean Hannity or Laura. I don't recall. But I watched this guy, Good, from Virginia, talk about this stuff with a straight face. And my response to him was, you know, if he had been there, I'd have said it to his face, but I said it to the TV. I often talk to the TV. It's one of my psychological <laughs> problems. But I said, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. You're just handing the Democrats the House back, and it's been hard enough to win it. 
All right, because, you know, this was the platoon, not the cavalry. If you get it, which I think they will. I mean, this is just fruitcake, nutcake stuff. Steve Moore, anyway, what's wrong with Kevin McCarthy? Was he some big left-wing socialist liberal? When's that? When did that happen? When, I must have missed something. Yeah, look, I agree with you. And the most important thing is that um, you're also going to have some real superstars running these committees, people that you've had on your show, right. people like Jim Jordan, who right. can run the Judiciary Committee, who's a, who's a superstar. Uh, I love um, Kathy McMorris Rogers. Yes. You've had her on. She, she, we helped her many, many years ago at the Club for Growth mm-hmm. when her first election. Um, so you've got so many really great people who will be running powerful committees. And remember, uh, um, in the olden days, like when Reagan was president, they said maybe the only person who's more you know, powerful in Washington than Ronald Reagan is the it was Dingle, right? Dingle, the head of the right. Congress Committee That's in right. Congress. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this John is, Dingle's like, it, was lousy, it, was, it was a lousy election. People are feeling really frustrated right now. I am too. But the fact is, the bottom line is, you're going to have no. You're going to have the checks and balances that we've all been waiting for. You no longer have one party mm-hmm. control of Washington, and that gives Congress a one. The Republicans a one house. In the Senate is still up for grabs, but even in the worst case scenario, if you're a Republican, you will have a, 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 a one house sort of veto on some of the worst inclinations of Joe Biden. And I have to say, Larry, the one thing that really is sticking in my craw right now from you know what happened on Tuesday is that on Thursday morning, you may have seen Joe Biden was asked, what are you going to do differently now? And he said nothing. Right. Right. And that's that's. That's a disaster because his first two years have been a disaster for our country, in my opinion. Well, he's going to – that do nothing. I mean, that was just pure arrogance, John Fund. And if the, if the GOP take the House, and it sure looks like they're going to take the House, I mean, Joe Biden's going to get a pretty fast education because his uh, – to use Newt's phrase, his big government socialism's finito. Now, he'll still have some regulatory authority – although good lawyers can stop that because of the Supreme Court decision. But putting that aside, as far as spending and taxing and Green New Dealing and all that stuff, John Fund, he's going to be he's better. Be, he's going to have a rude awakening because this will be a Republican House. So he's going to do nothing. Well, he'll do nothing, at, I guess, at his own risk, unless he wants to just drag his party down even more. What do you think, John? The only way that Joe Biden's response to the election makes sense is if he's privately decided that he's declining enough that he's not going to run for re-election. It doesn't make sense under normal circumstances. Bill Clinton, of course, famously pivoted and said the era of big government is over. He made compromises with Newt Gingrich. We had an economic boom after the capital gains and other things were passed. Even Barack Obama, Mm. after the 2010 disaster of his midterm election, uh, which he called a shellacking, uh, made compromises. He ultimately agreed to 90% of the Bush tax cuts being made permanent. Mm. There were other things. So the only thing I can think is that Joe Biden knows something about how, you, how he's feeling that the rest of us don't know. <laughs> or he was just being dumb. I mean, like he lives in this alternative universe. I mean, he's out As there. Said, he may he may know something that he doesn't. The rest of us don't know. <laughs> he's he's out there in Egypt, Steve Moore. On an apology tour, remember, oh, on Obama's new oh, apology God. tour, 
apologizing to the rest of the world because we withdrew from the Paris Climate Accords. An apology well, tour. Yeah. Well, it's even worse than that, Larry. I mean, yes, he's apologizing for our past behavior, but he's what he's now saying is, hey, we in the United States are going to be even to the left of Europe on this climate change madness. We're going to he I mean, this is an important um, declaration that he made. I think it was Thursday or Friday. He said, we are now going to not just go after oil and coal, but we're going to go after natural gas because, by the way, methane is natural gas. These are the two methane and natural gas are the same thing. And he said, oh, we're going to have the most restrictive methane restrictions ever. Well, that's going to shut off the spigots of the natural gas now. I mean, this is craziness. We have we have 500 years worth of natural gas in this country, thanks to the, you know, the, the revolution in shale oil and gas. And uh, it's the reason we have reduced our carbon emissions so much is because we're using more natural gas. Now he wants us to use less of it. You know, the lefty greenies in Europe are smarter than our lefty greenies. They are. Right? Because they've reclassified natural gas as exactly. renew- as renewable. Good I mean, point. I mean, that's important. I don't get that. Well, John Fund. Well, Larry, let, let me just make one point about this. And what that, when you go after natural gas, which is a clean burning fuel, that suggests to me that this isn't really even about climate change. It's almost like this degrowth movement you know, that the Wall Street Journal has been writing about, that they just don't want growth. They don't want people to be prosperous. They don't want abundant energy. Well, it's a lower priority. Has to be a lower. John Fund, what is it? Which is it? I don't, Biden, even I get confused. So so Biden says uh, the oil companies are a bunch of war profiteers, and then he says they need to produce more. He said that. They need to produce more. Then he says, John... Um, at this rally just before the election, there's no drilling, no drilling, no drilling. He repeated it about five times. No drilling, no drilling, no drilling. And he wants to end coal plants. Then he goes to Egypt, and as Steve said, they announced this this methane thing, and which is anti. What what is what is his policy, John Fun? You're a smart guy. You have to explain <laughs> his policy to me. I I can give you an explanation. <laughs> First of all, from what you've said, Larry, it is obvious that you could walk through Joe Biden's deepest consistency and not get your ankles wet. <laughs> secondly, <laughs> secondly, um, you know, in the White House, they prepare sets of uh, note cards for you. You know, to sort of guide you during your speech at the podium to make announcements and stuff like that. Joe Biden is the only president I know who must have aides from two different camps handing him note cards, and he combines them. Because one note card says A, and the other note card says B, and he reads both of them. What, what, one note card says yes, the other one says no. And he goes, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. I mean, the whole thing is, uh, I mean, it's kind of humorous, but he is the president, and these are uh, far-reaching Policies. Are you sure he's the president, Larry? <laughs> so after this election, they're going to be actually, no, before I talk about staff changes, let's take a break. We're going to need a lot of time to talk about potential staff changes in the White House, or maybe we won't need any time at all. John Fund, National Review, Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Steve Moore, Freedom Works, Committee to Unleash Prosperity. I'm Cudlow. We're talking money and politics. We'll be right back after this. Now back to the Larry Cudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. We are talking money and politics with John Fund, National Review and Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and Steve Moore, FreedomWorks, 
and Unleash Prosperity Hotline. By the way, the Unleash Prosperity Hotline is the single best political economic uh, newsletter in the country by far. Wow. Fellas, um, I did, before I get to the White House staff changes, if there ever be any, um, John Fun, what do you hear about Mitch McConnell? There seems to be a, actually more than a few now are raising questions about whether he should be erected as leader, uh, elected as leader. I noticed Marco Rubio weighed in. That one kind of surprised me. Uh, Rick Scott doesn't surprise me. Uh, Josh Hawley doesn't surprise me. But, John, what's your uh, what's your uh, pulse taking tell you about Mitch McConnell's future? It is certainly unfortunate that the last two years have seen this incredible feud and um, pissing contest between Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to take sides right now. I'll simply say it's certainly distracted from the goal of taking back the Senate. Um Mitch McConnell is going to put out all the stops to remain leader, whether it's majority leader or minority leader. We have to first resolve these elections. That that takes until Georgia, December 6th. Uh, And the problem with deposing a guy who wants to remain as Republican leader is you have to unite around one candidate. And I haven't yet seen who that's going to be. If it's Rick Scott versus Mitch McConnell, I think Mitch McConnell wins. Hmm. If it's if it were Marco Rubio against Mitch McConnell, that would be a completely different thing. But it's extremely difficult to topple a leader of a party inside their caucus. It's a secret ballot, by the way. Yes, it is. What's your thing, Steve Moore? Anything to add to that? Not much. I mean, look, I think that um, people are feeling so frustrated right now about that there weren't bigger wins in the Senate. And and, by, and I'm in Arizona right now. Um, you know, that one has been called. Uh, Nevada is. Boy, it's tight in Nevada with just a few percentage, you know, points left uh, to to. But there's still a chance Republicans could have the majority. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like you do. I think, Larry, that if if we win Nevada as Republicans, I think the odds are 75 percent chance that that Herschel Walker would win the win the runoff. And you could you could actually have Mitch McConnell being the majority leader, yeah. which I think would be a good thing. We'll see. I think um, just as an aside. I think President Trump, former President Trump, should um, hold back any candidacy announcements. Let's all focus on Herschel. Yes. Really, yes. you know, just I'm not saying he shouldn't run. I'm just saying he should hold back and, by mm-hmm. the way, should donate a bunch of million dollars to the campaign. Yeah. Get him on TV, help to get out the vote. Which, which Trump did not do during the fall elections. He sat on his gold hoard. I know. I know. I'm just saying – and. I'm not saying he shouldn't run. I'm just saying don't don't announce now. Don't distract. Don't make Herschel Walker answer a thousand times. Does he support Trump for president? You know what I mean? That's bad politics. I don't know. I'm I'm hoping to talk to uh, my friend Donald Trump soon, but um, I hope he doesn't do it anyway. uh, So, okay, we'll leave that alone. John Fund, you think Biden, I know Biden has this bravado, he's not going to change anything, but he will be forced to change some things. Are there going to be any senior staff changes in the White House? Well, if I were Ron Klain, who is, you know, Obama's consigliere and chief of staff, I would say, you know, I've had a pretty good run. I managed to pull a rabbit out of a hat with the Inflation Reduction Act and getting Joe Manchin to cross over. Um, We had a better than expected midterm. Uh, a recession may well be looming. Uh, a stock market 
meltdown may well be looming. Mm. This would be the perfect time for a chief of staff to leave at the top of the pyramid. Mm. And he could say, well, if things went wrong after me, well, that was because of the people who came after me. Mm. What do you think, Steve Moore? I, you know, it's funny with this gang. I, I don't think there are going to be any changes. I mean, no major changes, no crisis, major changes, but I could be wrong. I don't pretend to understand them. Well, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't have any sort of information about that, but I don't, I don't think it would matter much because anybody that you would replace a Ron Klain with would probably be ideologically in tune. I mean, I think the really important thing is what you guys were just talking about. Larry, you made this point that, that uh, you know, what made Bill Clinton a successful president in his last six years was that he did move to the middle. He did say the year of big government is over. And it's disturbing to me that the reaction of Democrats is we've been vindicated here. And, you know, look, to some extent they have been. But, you know, when you've got 70 to 75 percent of the American people saying the country's going in the wrong direction, mm. that's not <laughs> that's not a good number. Right. No, it's not a good number. But I'm not sure it will. Here, Here's Janet Yellen's going to leave. She's the worst of the economic people. The head of the CEA, uh, Rouse, I believe her name is, she will go back to Princeton because it's a two-year term. Um, I don't know. Mr. Deese, Brian Deese, I don't know him. My uh, my successor at the NEC, I suspect he'll he'll stay. Janet Yellen's had a rough time with it, having blown the inflation story and having been blamed for it. And, and she did that hostage video thing on CNN. Um, she'll probably leave. But I don't know how many others uh, are going to leave. I just wish uh, I push this, put it out to both of you. This, I, you've got a month to go before Herschel's runoff. All right, I'm going to assume Adam Laxalt wins. That may be incorrect, or that may be correct. But for the moment, I'm going to assume Adam Laxalt wins in the back. You have a month to go, less than a month actually, December second. Can we cease and desist the finger pointing and the recriminations? And just try to elect Herschel Walker and not repeat the Georgia mistakes of two years ago. Can we just try to do that, John Fund? Wouldn't that make sense? Instead of unseating Kevin McCarthy, and I know everybody has to beat up on Donald Trump, can we just try to elect Herschel? Because we could have both houses. Think about that. It's possible. Uh, Steve and I are here at a conference um the uh, David Horowitz Freedom Conference here in Phoenix, and there are a lot of uh, Trump aides and advisors here. Um, I think that Donald Trump will quiet down and reconcile himself to that. But right now, he is just so angry, he's lashing out. Mm. I mean, he attacked Glenn Youngkin yesterday yeah. with, a, with a, a slur basically implying that he was, mm. you know, perhaps an agent of influence of China. Mm. So I, I, I think you know, he's, Trump is in a bad space right now, and his aides, frankly, are staying away from him because he's in such a bad temper. Give him another week and 10 days, maybe he can simmer down. The country may need that. Uh, it may need a period of calm, and we have to focus on Georgia. And anyone who doesn't focus on Georgia is not doing the country or the party any help. Yeah, I think that's right. Steve Moore, you agree, but if he announces on Tuesday, I think, I hate to say it, but I think it's a mistake. It's premature, Steve. He doesn't have to do it. He doesn't have to do it. Yeah, I agree. And and I think that if 
I were advising Donald Trump, what I'd say is just spend the next six, five weeks or however many it is doing everything you can to help Herschel yeah. Walker. Yeah. If Herschel Walker wins, then Trump will actually, you know, and people are angry at Trump right now, Larry. I know, yeah. I know you get angry at people who are angry at Trump, but, he, you know, people are angry at him. There's a yeah. lot of, uh, you yeah. know, and he has to repair himself, and this would be a good way to do it. He does. Uh, you're quite right on all those counts. Um He's um, his base is shrinking. We see it. Uh, we're getting emails into Fox that we've never seen before. Um, anger directed at Trump. That stuff's not come over the transom before we're getting them. Uh, I'm getting them. He's his base is shrinking. You know, people who, you know, ordinary folks, working folks. Kitchen table folks, people that, you know, eat meals in diners. I love diners, by the way, but I'm just saying they're not happy with Trump. He was their hero. Um, Joe Concha said it. Joe Concha said it uh, on one of the earlier segments on this show. He said, you know, you've had Trump now. It's been seven years. There's there's a Trump fatigue, and I think he's made it worse. I thought the Glenn Youngkin thing was terrible. I thought the DeSantis thing was terrible. He didn't have to do that. There's no point in it. And then DeSantis turns around and wins by 20 points. I mean, really? That's not good politics, John Fun. You know, if you're going to attack, be smart. Trump's always been very clever, you know, like low energy Jeb and uh, little Marco and that kind of stuff. That one wasn't funny. That's, Larry. wasn't funny. Trump is good on the attack. He's not good at team sports, however. <laughs> and the problem is, he should have said he should when DeSantis wins practicing Trump policies in Florida, he should have, regardless of whether or not they're going to run against each other for at least until right after the right after the election. He should have said he followed my policies. I helped win his election in 2016. Mm. It's his success. It's my success. It's the country's success. Mm. Well, he's not good at team sports. You're right. He likes golf. <laughs> 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 not, it's not really a team sport. He also likes tennis. <laughs> it's not really a team sport. I don't know. Steve you Moore. Know, but, Larry, but Larry, I'll just say this, that, you know, what you and I admire so much. I mean, I like Trump personally very much. I, he's always good to me. Um, but what people re- – there's a, there's a consensus among virtually all conservatives, and even I think most people in the country, Trump's policies – we're a spectacular success, yeah, a spectacular yeah. success. Yeah. And so I want him to get back to talking about the issues, not personalities. Yeah. Well, he's going to speak uh, at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll yeah. be there. You're going to yeah. be there, right? I'll be there. Um, yeah. It'll be a very, very important speech because it should yeah. be an issues speech. You're 100% right. Look, I love the guy. Always will. Uh, even when I disagree with some of these shall we say, reposts, but nonetheless, and his policies succeeded. I mean, you guys are right. His policies succeeded. But I tell you what, if what's this guy from Virginia, John Fun, the uh, good? good? Bob Good, yeah. the congressman from Roanoke. I mean, I this guy is just out of control, has the wrong idea, and somebody should muzzle him. Just muzzle him. He's just really craziness. Anyway, John Fun, thank you. Steve Moore, thank you. I'm Larry Kudlow, folks. We will be with you next weekend. The cavalry is coming. The platoons are coming. Keep the faith. Stay optimistic. We'll see you then.
from Wall Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show 